welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Very, very special. Thank you so much. Thank you. What's your name again? Remind me your name. Alex, thank you, man. I appreciate you uh, making me sound more spiritual than I really am. It always is helpful to me. Are you grateful to be in church on a Friday night? You're the real Christians, okay? Don't let anybody on Sunday morning try to convince you that they're more saved than you because you came to church on a Friday night, and uh, it's very special to be here, and I'll be with you tomorrow morning as well. So I hope tonight goes well because that will determine whether or not you decide to uh, give up your lawn mowing time. Uh, to come here on a Saturday, and uh, it's just such a privilege to be uh, right outside of Columbus. I hail from Raleigh, North Carolina, which is very similar. We're like the secondary market, you know. You didn't get the NFL team, neither did Raleigh, you know. Charlotte got the NFL team, and uh, so I, I am just honored to be with your pastors and really proud of the work that has begun and is continuing here at the gathering. This is a very special place, and uh, I hope that you, you know that. And uh, feel free to say amen tonight on Friday night. The amen count should be higher than on Sunday morning. And uh, my, church, my church is uh, 57% African American, so you can imagine how many amens I get. Um, there are occasions where it gets so wild in church <laughs> that uh, the lady, there's one church mama, and she uh, brings money to the stage during the middle of the message. So you don't have to do that tonight unless the Lord leads you. Um, but you can say amen. I have a picture of my family that I'd like to show with you. Um, my wife and I, we were married at 19, and we had our first child within our first year of marriage. And so people ask me all the time, you know, I had three kids before I was 23 years old, and they said, do you know what causes that? I said, yeah, we're not willing to give it up. So um, that's why we had three kids by the time I was 24. And uh, just three weeks ago, we brought home a fourth child. We fostered to adopt a family member whose family's in a lot of trouble. And so uh, not pictured in this photo is our fourth child, and she is also 11 years old. So we have two 11-year-olds, a 13-year-old, and my daughter, uh, the oldest one, is 14. And uh, my, my daughter leads worship in the youth ministry. My son is on the golf team. He won the state match uh, and this past year on the varsity team in seventh grade. So uh, we like golf. And I tried to ask your pastor. <laughs> I said, hey, um, I'm coming in early on Friday. Should I bring my golf clubs? Because it's like part of a prerequisite for ministry is to play golf. And he says, I don't play golf. And I said, what? Cancel the plane ticket. I'm not coming. You know, double the offering and I'll still come. But, you know, <laughs> it's just a joke. These are just jokes, guys. It's okay. Relax. He says, no, I play pickleball. I'm like, okay. So I brought my pickleball paddle in my carry-on, and it was, I didn't have to pay for extra baggage, which is great. Um, and I have room for the nice fluffy towels from the hotel. Take those home with me as well. It's just a joke. And uh, then our, our youngest, um, Harmony, she loves art and drawing and uh, painting and serving in the kids' ministry. Uh, it's very special. Our calling is not individual, it's family. And uh, my wife and I lead our church together, uh, much like your pastor and, and his wife lead the church together. And ministry is a special thing, and you have to do it with the family. If, if your family doesn't want to do it, then, you know, uh, your ministry is the fir as first at the house. And if the house is broken, then 
no sense in preaching the paint off the walls. And so uh, I'm very, 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 very grateful for my family. And uh, we continue to see God do some incredible things. I think they might even have a picture of how our church started maybe in my living room. Do you have that picture of uh, like a couple people in our living room? So that was our whole church uh, 10 years ago. We're about to celebrate 10 years as a church on September 18th. And uh, yeah, so to God be the glory, 10 years ago, I was actually bussing tables at Panera Bread. Um, I don't even know if they might even have a picture of that just to prove that I was bussing tables at Panera Bread 10 years ago, and I remember asking, that's me, skinny me, 40 pounds ago, praise God, um, and I remember asking my manager, because when you pioneer something new, you know this, the sacrifice is 360 degrees. It's like you're already doing something that's hard when it's handed to you. It's even harder when you start it from scratch, and so I remember asking my manager at the Panera Bread, I said, can you... Uh, the leftover bagels, can you not throw them into the dumpster? Can you just leave them next to the dumpster so that I didn't have to crawl into the dumpster to get the bagels out to feed my kids? And we only had one car. And so I would take home a trash bag full of bagels. And that's how we ate for the first year, year and a half of our church plant as we pioneered this movement. And uh, to God be the glory, I don't have to work at Panera Bread anymore. And uh, I don't have to ask my manager to leave the bag of bagels next to the dumpster, and I don't even go to Panera anymore. So it's not even an option I give someone when they ask me where we want to go, uh, because I've had enough broccoli cheddar soup all over my apron to uh, not, never have to go back there ever again. But I guess that's just a testimony of God's faithfulness, that when you feel called to something, you're willing to do anything short of sin to ensure that it happens. Uh, you're, you're a part of a tribe. You're a part of a community. You're a part of a church. The gathering is a church where you will do anything short of sin to ensure people in this region get reached for Jesus. And your pastors are the number one proponents for that. And you being here on a Friday night, it means you either are super lame and you have no friends or you really believe in the mission of reaching people for Jesus. And uh, so our church went from starting in the living room to now we are one church in three locations. They might have a couple of pictures of how it is now. So uh, we have one location that's on 60 acres of land, 70,000 square feet. We have another location in town that is uh, a lease, a long-term lease, Very, actually very similar. It feels a lot like this. And then just Sunday, so this picture is from Sunday, we started a brand new location in a regal theater, in a movie theater, and 400 people showed up on day one of the church plant to God be the glory. And uh, they had to open up a second theater and run a video. They had to run a second projector and a second sound system to the, to the theater next door. So we are experiencing some serious revival and that is just due to our obedience and God's grace and his favor. If you knew me, you'd be surprised at all that because uh, this I'm just a redneck, man. I'm just a redneck missionary kid from North Carolina. I love the gun store today. I walked in there. You know, it's like not, not every day you can go to the bathroom at a church and then make a wrong turn and end up in the back of a gun store. And uh, it was awesome. And uh, unfortunately, because I'm out of state, I can't, my, my permit doesn't apply to over here, so I can't buy a firearm in Ohio and take it on the airplane. Obviously, I didn't bring a check bag. If I would have brought my golf clubs in, maybe I could have snuck it in there underneath the plane. But that's just a joke, guys. It's okay. It's all right. It's just okay. Are you ready for God's word? You're like, does this guy preach or just tell jokes all night? Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to talk to you today uh, from John chapter 4. 
how many of you have an iPhone here? You have an iPhone? Okay, if you have an iPhone, why don't you open it up real quick, put it on silent, but beyond putting it on silent, open up the Photos app. I want you to open up the Photos app and then click down at the bottom where it says Albums. This is gonna be embarrassing for some of you. And then scroll down to where it says Media Types, so click on Photos, click on Albums at the bottom, and then click on Media Types. And then I want to know what the number is next to Selfies. Who would be willing to confess? 99 selfies. Okay, I got 99 over here to the right. 47. Okay, that seems about right for a young man like yourself, not too occupied taking selfies of yourself all day long. Anybody got more than 99? Say it. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want you to quantum qualify it. You just confessed your sins before many. He's faithful and just. You forgive us of those sins and cleanse us of all selfie unrighteousness. So tell me what the... What's the number? 325. Okay, that's not, that's not totally outrageous. 1,036 selfies. Okay. 2,500. Okay. She's covering her face like, oh, I'm glad he said it, not me. 2,500. Okay. Anybody have more than 2,500? How many did you have? Okay, so 2,500 is the winner. I guess what it proves is that we all have a little uh, selfie in us. You know, I, I only have uh, three, 304, 304 selfies. And, and I, I want to tonight, as we dive into this new season at the gathering, as we look to grow and reach people, and as we celebrate in October uh, our anniversary service, I want you to serve from a healthy place. And I want you to serve from a healthy heart. And I think a lot of times we forget that we've never seen our true selves. I've come to this realization lately. I've never seen my face. I've like never looked. I've seen your face more than I've seen my own face, which is interesting to think about. I've seen a reflection of my face and a photo of my face, but I've never actually seen my face because I can't pluck out my eyes and turn them inward and, and look at myself. Does that make sense? You've never seen you. I've seen you more than you've seen you. And I think that if we are to serve faithfully in the church here at the gathering, I think one of the things we're going to have to do is get back to the place that God created us to be, which is of true identity. I believe our, 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 the root of, of serving in a, in a church, the root of, of, of having a healthy culture is having the self-awareness of who we are in Christ. Like once we know who we are, once we know how God sees us, then we can serve in that nursery with gladness. Of course I'll serve in the nursery. I know who I am. I'm a son of God. Of course I'll stay for second service when you go to two services. Of course I'll reach out during the outreach and give away groceries or pass out flyers or give away water bottles or whatever it is. Why? Because I now know who I am. I'm no longer insecure with a fake version of myself, but now I know who I am. And once I know who I am, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so John chapter 4, we find a woman who doesn't really know who she is. Uh, she is labeled the woman at the well. So we don't even know her name. We only know her by uh, where she's from and where she interacted with Jesus, which was at the well. And then we don't even know her for what she does for a living. We only know her by her baggage, which is that she's had five husbands, and the one she's with is not even her husband right now, and we only know what she's good at, 
and that is collecting water because she's the only one with a bucket and the rope in the conversation with Jesus. And in John chapter 4, this is what it says. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he had been baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Uh, I don't know where you're from, but Jesus will go through wherever you're from to get to you. Like he's in a relentless pursuit of you. Can somebody say amen tonight on this Friday night? He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. No one would go to the well at noontime. It was the hottest point of the day. If, if you uh, were smart at all, you would go in the morning or in the evening, but you would never go in the daytime, uh, in the middle of the day. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. She was ashamed of her lifestyle. She was ashamed of her past. She was a broken individual. Therefore, she only went to the well when she thought no one else would be there. But how many of you know that there is nowhere you can hide from the grace of Jesus Christ? There is nowhere you can go, and there is nothing that you can do that will separate you from the love of God. So even if it's noon at the well in Sychar, Jesus will be there. And here's what happens. Uh, he, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and, and, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. <laughs> I love Jesus. He's a master teacher. You think the guy who walks on water needs a drink? You think the guy who separates the land and the water in Genesis needs a drink of said water? Do you think the man who comes onto the scene of his public ministry converting the molecular structure of water into wine needs a drink? No, he does not need a drink. What he wants is her heart, and the way to her heart is by testing her obedience. He says, do you have a drink? Can you please give me a drink? He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to Chick-fil-A into the village to buy some food. They found that it was Sunday, and then they had to go somewhere else. Because that always happens. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she said, Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. And who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you what? Living water. This is good news for us tonight. But sir, always limitations. We always put limitations on God's request. Every single time. We default to the impossibility. She says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. <laughs> and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Lord, bless the reading of your word. I thank you for my church family here at the gathering. I pray that you would use it and uh, turn our hearts towards you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are our two lenses that you normally see life through. There are two basically primary filters that you use to gain your identity and the first one is what you do. It's the number one question I get every time I get on an airplane. And I get to decide what to answer, right? What do you do? Hmm, what do I want to do today? Who do I want to be on this airplane with this stranger that I'll never see ever again, you know? 
And I can make up, you know, crazy stuff if I want to. Uh, sometimes I'm like, I'm not in the mood to really get into theology discussions on this airplane. So I might say something like, I'm in the startup business. And they're like, what kind of business? Well, I started a church from scratch. That's the startup that I'm in, you know. Sometimes I'll say, I'm in the ministry. And they'll say, what's the ministry? And I'll be like, do you have some time, you know? Let me tell you about the ministry. What you do tends to be the primary source of where we get a lot of our identity. A lot of our, that's why one of the primary prophetic words that the Lord gave from, from me to you tonight was, you can take off the pastor hat and receive the sonship hat, and you'll still be in right standing with God. This is so important because many of us, myself included, we receive our, our identity from what we do. I asked the sister that was sitting behind me, what do you do? It was, it was like naturally, this is the question that you ask. She says, I work at Scott's. I'm like, awesome, you know. But that's not who you are. That's just what you do. And, and, and it's interesting because a lot of times if we aren't careful, what we do becomes who we are. I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a preacher. And I, I don't know about you, but we tend to cling to the things that we are proud of when we have things that we are ashamed of. We, we, have, a, we have a bucket. Can you pass me that bucket? We have a bucket that the man who asked for water doesn't have, and so we walk around proud of our bucket. You know? I got, I got this, man. I got this degree. You don't got this degree. I got this promotion. I got a boat. You know? Anybody got a boat in here? B-O-A-T. Bust out another thousand. You know, it's expensive. But I got it, you know? You know? It's like, look what I got. What you do becomes who you are, and then what you, you, you tether yourself to your successes because you're embarrassed of your failures. So you only present the gifted version of yourself in public. Do you know why, you know why this is fun tonight? Because you are seeing my gift. You're not seeing me. Does this make sense? I show up Tuesday at Costco in the line, and you'll see the real version of Mike Santiago. <laughs> what you are currently seeing is me and my gift. And so if I'm not careful, my gift can become my identity. And in a world full of social media and selfies and, 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 and identity and filters and photoshops and crops and all the things that you can do to manipulate the algorithm to make you seem better and cooler and, and wealthier and richer than you really are, you can tend to cling to your gift and say, well, you don't even have a bucket, Jesus. Where's your rope? Where's your bucket? And if we're not careful, you will find identity in what you do, and you will always burn out when you are what you do. There's a lot of pressure in failure, but there's even more pressure in success. And I have found that we promote what we take pride in, and we hide what we are embarrassed about. So what do you do? Oh, I'm a preacher of the gospel, don't you know? I'm on this airplane right now. It's an ordained meeting with the Lord. Do you know who you're sitting next to right now? An agent of the gospel. That's my bucket. But that's not who I am. When I parent my children, I don't parent them like a pastor. I parent them like they are children of God. When I, I, don't, I don't get up in the morning and say, Okay, kids, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Numbers. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph, brothers and sisters. Come to the altar of these dishes. 
Why? Because I am parenting them with who I am, not with what I do. It's very important. Jesus didn't need anything from her, and he actually doesn't need anything from you. (laughs) He had turned water into wine. He had, in John chapter 5, at the pool of Bethesda, the water is bubbling up. A man who's lame, he says, can you please get me into the water? No one's here to get me into the water. He says, you don't even need the water. Be healed. Your faith has made you well. Jesus doesn't even need water, yet he asks her for water because he's testing to see where her identity is at. And sure enough, she says, where is this water? I'll take it because I don't have to come back here again. Does this make sense to anybody tonight? Okay, good. If you tether yourself to your gift, it clouds your identity. You become unaware of who you really are, and you can't separate the fact that I'm, I'm not a pastor to God. I'm a son. <laughs> I'm not a musician to God first. Was it Alex? You're not a musician first. You're a son first and a musician second. And when you minister as a son, there is, a, there is way more relationship than when you minister contractually obligated to play the right notes. He is already pleased with you before you ever put those headphones on. Before Jesus ever did one public miracle, he gets baptized in water by John. And what's the first thing he tells Jesus? He says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He has never done a thing. What are you pleased with him about? He hasn't even done a thing. Because God's love is not contingent on your performance. And it's not connected to what you do. I am preaching way better than this church is shouting, but that's okay. I'm just used to a black church. That's all I got. I'm just saying. My folks would be going buck wild. It's imperative. What's your name? Dalton. I saw you park way far away today. I know you did that just because I would see it, you know. I I saw you park across the street today. And we were driving up today. I said, that kid right there, how old are you? 20 years old parking a mile away. It's like, you didn't do that for show. You did that because you understand that that is part of your responsibility as a son is to make room for other sons and other daughters to park closer, and I'm proud of you for that. And even if I didn't see it, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? You didn't do it for me because you don't know me. But you did it because I, I believe this, and I could sense it in the worship, that you had an understanding of your relationship with God, and that's a powerful thing. And if you ever lose that, I don't want you to, because you will forget who you are in Christ, and you are a son, and he is well pleased with you, and it, not what you do, but who you are. Many of us don't know what it's like to be loved without our gift. You know, it's like, he loves me because I'm a pastor. He loves me because I'm in ministry. Not true. He loved me before I was in ministry. He loved you before you went to the nursery and wiped those snot-nosed kids' not, noses clean you know, and change those diapers and sang those songs. He loved you before you hit the right notes and before you hit the wrong ones. I'm trying to clear the deck as we get into culture conference. It's almost countercultural to tell you that you are not your gift and then work all day tomorrow on your gift. But until you have a a seated place at the table with God, a a good father-son, father-daughter relationship, then you will always burn out and say, man, planting sinners annoying me. All these balloons, (laughs) you know? This, you can manage all the requests when your identity is secure in the Father. Once you know who you are and it's no longer connected to what you do, then you could do it to the glory of God and no one else around you will 
the temperature of the room, the color of the carpet, none of that will matter because you know who you are in Christ. And uh, you have to divorce yourself from this idea that I am what I do. So, and she says in verse 12, and besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? As a matter of fact, he was. Jesus is greater than Jacob. Who gave us this well? Yes, he is. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. When you are tethered to your gift, it will never satisfy. You'll always look for a bigger church, a bigger platform, more followers, more likes, more subscribers. It's always this pursuit of more. And it, trust me, I've been doing this for 10 years. It's always, you know, the attendance could be a thousand and I want it to be a thousand and one. Someone could bring me an offering of a million dollars and I'd want to know where the two million dollars was. Bottomless pit if my gift is where my identity is at. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks from this well will soon be thirsty again, but those who drink from the water I give will never be thirsty again. Water is on the way tonight to the gathering. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband. Jesus, the master of changing the subject. This has not come up yet. This, we're talking about water. All of a sudden, he's like, where's your husband? Go and get him. And she says this, she says, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And this is what I love, because she finally came to her senses and told the truth. She stopped lying. She, and he, Jesus said, you're right. This is probably the first time in her life that she actually confessed the truth and wasn't living in the shadows of her shame and the shadows of her guilt. And he said, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, the truth is telling her that she just spoke the truth. It's one thing for me to tell you that you're, what you're telling me is true. It's another thing for the truth himself to say, yep, what you just said is right. So the second thing that we tend to see ourselves through is not what we do, but what we have done. <laughs> this is where it gets really good because all of that guilt that the enemy tries to use to keep you from the full potential that God has put inside of you, it starts to surface and you remember all the things that you did this week and how could I serve the Lord with all of the thought life that I had. And I just want to let you know that you are not a product of what you do and you are not a product of what you've done. For you have had five husbands and the man you're with right now is not even your husband. And so the people in this room where the enemy has convinced you that guilt is keeping you from all that God has for you, that's a lie of the enemy, and I cancel that in Jesus' name. I break that off. The generational curse that you will never be more than what your father was, that you will never do more than what your mother did, or whatever the pressure is that you're living under of the sin that you committed a long, long time ago, be free from that guilt in Jesus' name. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What do I do? Doesn't matter. What have I done? It's been forgiven. Imagine walking and living a life, serving at the gathering, coming to culture conference, saying, I am not what I do, and I am not what I've done. Imagine introducing yourself no longer through the lens of who I, who I once was, what I did, or what I do, but instead now with this real adoption identity that says, I'm a child of God. So what you've imposed on me no longer applies to me. Well, you better be that star athlete. No, that's what you did. That's not who you are. There is no greater uh, display 
of human condition than a couple guys who used to be athletes. Have you seen this before? I mean, they, they just they, they try to prove themselves. <laughs> I remember that Friday night light, you know, I was number one tackle in the country or whatever. I had full ride. Let me show you. And they do one little move. They're like, ah, you know. I used to be a musician. I was in a band in college called the Eighth Hour Romance. I was a rock star. And uh, I used to wear skinny jeans, you know, and just like rock out. And every once in a while, I'll jump on the bass guitar and I'll like tweak my back, just like trying to do the moves that I used to do. It's like I'm not who I used to be. I can't live under that old identity. I am a new person now, you know. You can't keep going back to the good old days. God's doing a new thing. So what you've done is not indicative of what God wants to do. And guilt will creep in and keep you from all that God has. It's the one thing the enemy can use is your past. you got to get past your past today. you got to get past your past. Your past should not be a filter for your future. It should not be the limiter on your life. The, the, this woman had had five husbands and the man she was with. That means not only was she, did she have a past, she had a present. She was not even married to the man that she's with. And Jesus says, go and get your husband. I don't have one. Surely you've spoken the truth. Jesus' love for you is not conditional on what you have, that he doesn't have a bucket and a rope or what you've done, which is have five husbands and the one you're with right now. You are not your gift and you are not your guilt. Once you understand this as a Christian, as an individual, you can walk out of here saying, I serve at the gathering under full identity with who I know who I am in Christ. When your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. What do they talk about at the nursing home? I don't know. I've never been in the nursing home, but I'm assuming they don't talk about their future plans. What are you going to do 10 years from now? Probably don't hear that. Why? Because their memories exceed their dreams. They talk about the good old days. They eat pudding, sit on the porch, and they reminisce. When your memories exceed your dreams, the end is here. That's why this church has to always be thinking ahead. The churches who talk about how it used to be, <laughs> the end is near for them. If I get into a room with the pastors and they talk about how it used to be Brownsville and it used to be this. Y'all know about Brownsville up in here or no? Oh, yeah, it's like my childhood. That was my era. That's what I came running to the altar. Lindo Cooley and all those good songs. Good worship. Not that the worship here was not good, but there's nothing like Brownsville revival worship. I'm just kidding. Good old days. Come run into the mercy seat. You remember that song? Okay, that was a good one. You, you have a worship leader as a pastor, which is awesome. I can't sing at all. Um, when your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. So don't be looking back. The enemy would love for you to look back. Don't get nostalgic with who you used to be. And don't surround yourself with people who remind you of who you used to be. Sometimes one of the most practical things you can do is get new friends that look forward for you and don't look backward to you. I remember when you used to be like that and blah, blah. No, no, no. We look ahead. There was a shift during covid where it filtered out your relation, you had a chance to renegotiate on a lot of your relationships. You, you remember this time? It was like, can't see you, can't work out with you, can't go to dinner with you, everything's closed, can't see your face anymore, can't hear you mumbling, I don't want to talk to you over Zoom anymore, I'm tired of Zoom, you know? 
You have a chance to renegotiate your relationships. You have a chance right now to decide, this. I'm going to get around people that know God's plans for my future instead of reminding me how I used to live in the past. Who you used to be can sometimes be your greatest enemy. All right, can the keyboard guy come back up, Alex? Make me sound a little bit more spiritual. Maybe let's just get the whole band up there. Let's get, can we get the whole band up there? Does that make you nervous or are you okay? Okay, cool. We're, I mean, it's Friday night, right? So much grace. They are not their gift, right? So if they hit a wrong note, whatever. <laughs> are you all with me tonight? I want to read you the closing of the story, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer because I think this is, it can happen miraculously, but it also happens seasonally. Like, you have to remind yourself, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. I'm not that sales quota from my boss. I'm not my, top, my paid time off accruing. That's not who I am. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not deserving or undeserving of what my boss tries to put on me. I am a child of God. Once you receive this kind of sonship and righteousness, it changes everything. It changes everything. I didn't have this when I was the church plant was one years old. This is new for me. You're getting so, a new version of Mike Santiago. I used to think, if we're going to be here at the gathering, everyone's going to be here. You're going to show up dressed up nice, and the kids' nursery going to be clean, spick and span, no trash in the trash cans. If they hit a wrong note, they're going straight to, you know, whatever. I used to be so performance-driven. It was so sad because I didn't have a, a, a real version of myself. I had only had seen myself through the lens of my performance. I don't want that for you. I, if we can get this early on here at the gathering, this church, the lid in this church will lift off, the roof will lift off, because people will be drawn towards adoption. Who doesn't want to be adopted? We just adopted this, our fourth child. We had a little sign that just said, welcome home, Brenna. She's crying. We're driving to the driveway. She's just crying. I've never been welcomed home before. 11 years old. Mom's in jail. Dad's about to go to jail. We've known her her whole life. She's been a cousin our, our, our whole life. Now she's a dog. She's gone from distant to connected. That's the grace on this place is when it gets a spirit of adoption, then we could see God do some incredible things. So here's what happens. The woman in verse 28 left her water jar beside the well. Are y'all seeing this? The very thing that she thought she needed, she abandons it at the well. This was the one of the only things that she owned. This was, this was the one thing she had on Jesus that he didn't have. Remember? She said, where's your bucket? Where's your rope? This well is very deep, sir. Yet when she has a relationship with God, she can leave her gift at the well. And she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. <laughs> oh, I love Jesus so much. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Yes, he could. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She was so free that she could leave the very thing she owned at the well. So free that she could leave it at the well. The thing that she owned and the thing that owned her was left at the well. So today at the altar, we're going to leave everything we own and anything that owns us. So if your past owns you tonight, it's going to be left here. If, you're on, if, if you were only seen by what you do and what you accomplish, if you, if you like, 
I am nursery worker. I am kids minister. I am security team. I am cone man. Look me, hear me roar. You know, listen, those, all of those things from the right place will thrive. <laughs> Any of those things from the wrong place, it'll burn you out. You'll be like, I hate these combs. I hate these kids. I hate these songs. I hate this rehearsal. If you have an unhealthy heart, you'll start, you'll start being bitter towards things you used to love because you lost your identity. You've been there before. You start to, you know, kind of grow distant from your walk with God privately, and then it overflows into it publicly, and it gets ugly. You start to hate putting out those signs. I hate putting out those signs. I hate wearing that walkie-talkie. Why does he make me go out here? It's 4th of July. Nobody's coming to church. Why am I? What, what car am I leading into this parking spot? But when you have a good heart, when your heart is in the right place, then you can understand who you are. The same Jesus that gifted you also de-guilted you. You are not your sin. You are not your successes. You are a son. You are not the debt that you owe. You are not the things that you've done. You are a daughter. You are not your gift and you are not your guilt. You are called to reflect God's glory. You're called to reflect God's glory. So if I'm not my gift and I'm not my guilt, then what am I? You are an agent of God's glory today. Your face should shine with the glory of God. Would you stand to your feet all across this room? Have you guys ever seen the show Extreme Home Makeover? Ty Pennington, you've seen the show? It's pretty cool. It's like a missions trip on TV. Everyone wears the same shirt. Y'all seen it before? I'm going to close with this story. Hopefully, I don't, I, I've gone forever tonight. But yeah, I just feel like I'm at home. Y'all make it easy for me to work. So um, Ty Pennington shows up to a town, and normally the house is either in bad shape or they need to uh, pre prepare it for a wheelchair. Or they normally, have y'all seen the show? I don't want to have to relive the whole show. Okay. All week long, volunteers wear the same color T-shirt, just like a mission trip to Nicaragua, you know. And, 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 and they, they bring in all this new stuff. You guys have seen the show before, right? They send the family to Disney World while, while they're redoing the house. The family's on vacation. And he FaceTimes with them. He's like, hey, kids, it's Ty Pennington here. How's it going in Disney World? Hey. And then the families in Orlando are like, hey, Ty, how's it going? And he's like, Sally, I heard you like Elsa. Is that true? And then like Elsa comes to the back of the, back of the camera there. And she's like, hey, Al, Elsa's right behind you, you know. And guess what? We've turned your room into an ice castle. You know, and then like they cut to the room. It's got icicles on it, you know. And like the next day they FaceTime back with the family again. And the kid's are like, hey, hey, Johnny, I heard you like Bon Jovi. He's like, yeah. He's like, I heard you like to play guitar. Yeah, we've made you a room. It's a living on a prayer room. It's got Bon Jovi's, you know, pictures everywhere. You, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. You're like, get off the stage, dude. We are tired of you. It is 8.30 on a Friday night. At the very end of the show, they gather everyone around and they bring this bus. But they park the bus in such a way where the family gets out on one side of the bus that's not the side that their house is on. The bus is in between them and their house. You know what I'm talking about? 
And so they're, they're on this side. The bus is here. And then they start this chant, and we're going to, let's build it up. Can you, can you hear me in your ears or no? Do you got me, you got me back there? Okay, good. good. I'm going to lead them into some, some move that bus worship. Um, and so, it's like, they start this chant. You heard this chant. It's like, move that bus. Move that bus. Move that. Build it up a little bit. Move that bus. Move that bus. Yeah, move that bus. And stop for a second. Stop for a second. And then they cut to commercial. It's the worst. It's like, I don't care about Taco Bell right now. I don't want to see a Taco Bell commercial. And they bring it back in, the little drone shots coming in, flying over, the family's there. They start to chant again, move that bus. And then they move the bus. What is the first shot? Remember, the show is called Extreme Home Makeover. What is the first shot that the producers choose every episode, no matter how far back you look, what's the first shot when the bus moves? Why? It's, I want to see the house. Why are you showing? I've seen this family's face all week long. Why are you showing me this family's face when we just moved the bus to see the house? Do you want to know why? They figured out that you can see the house on their face. You can see the glory of the house on the faces of the family. I don't know what you came in here on with on your face today. If your countenance is low, if your do- soul is downcast, but I want you to look to the hills. Where does your help come from? Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let me reintroduce you to you. In, in, let me just reintroduce you. In, in Galatians 3.26, you are children of God. In John 15.15, 15, you are no longer servants, but you are now friends. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, you, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm reintroducing you to you. You are not what you do, and you are not what you've done. In, in Ephesians 2.10, you are God's masterpiece. In 1 John 1.9, you are, you are purified and cleansed from all unrighteousness. In Ephesians 4.24, you put on a new self. You have true righteousness and holiness. In Ephesians 2.5, you've been made alive in Christ when you were dead in your transgressions. By grace, you have been saved. In Philippians 320 our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior you are now a citizen of heaven it doesn't even matter what the political climate is here on earth because my citizenship is in the kingdom in acts 1 8 you are god's witnesses in jerusalem and in judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth in matthew 28 19 you are disciples of christ in matthew 5 13 you are the salt of the earth in matthew 5 14 you're the light of the world and in Matthew 5, 18, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you lift your hands all across this room? Father, we love you and we praise you because we want to glorify you with every aspect of who we are. We don't want to be just our gift and we don't want to just be our guilt. We want to be set free to reflect your glory tonight. We want, to set for, we, want to, we want to walk into a season of, of holiness and righteousness, but not out of performance, out of adoption. I break off any generational curses that are in this room tonight. I break off the weight of shame and the weight of guilt. 
I break it off right now in Jesus' name. I break off that performance, that striving spirit that you, you are not your gift and you are not your guilt. You are an agent of the glory of God. You are a son, a daughter, adopted by a king who has chosen to send his son so that he could purchase you as, as his children. That even while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that. Right now, receive that new identity right now. Receive the spirit of adoption. Receive the spirit of adoption right now. Right now, you are not what you did. You are not that abortion that you had when you were a teenager. You are not that, that failed marriage in Jesus' name. I'm speaking prophetically. You are not that illness that you think limits your ability to do the work of the ministry. If you are not dead, God is not done with you. You are not that. You are a child of God. I rebuke any shame that is trying to creep in to your heart today. Any past mistakes no longer have a hold on you. You are free in Jesus' name from any type of spiritual identity that is not of God. You are free from that right now. Be set free to be a son and daughter of God. Be set free right now. Be set free right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Would you just begin to thank him for this new identity? Would you just begin to thank him right now? Thank you that I'm a son. Thank you that I'm a daughter. Thank you that I'm a child of the King. Come on, thank him right now. Lift your voice. We're going to begin to sing in just a moment. You guys can just begin to flow. I want you just to lift your voice and just thank him right now. Let's usher in the presence of God. Let's thank him for being our Father. Let's thank him for being our King. Let's thank him for being our Lord. Let's thank him for being our, our, our friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I don't know what issues you came in here with, but he can handle it tonight. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.